Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This time from Pastor Nick Scott. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Very good morning to you all, and uh, welcome. We're working our way through um, the seven letters. Seven letters to the seven churches, Revelation. And, uh, and this morning we come to the letter to Smyrna, and... Before we come to our text, for me, um, this whole idea of, of letters to churches just raises the question, if the Lord were to write a letter to specifically to the church in Perth, because bear in mind, uh, when it comes to the New Testament, the, the, the context of church is always cities. So as, you know, Paul writes to the, the church of the city of Corinth, the church of the city of Philippi, the church of the city of uh, Thessalonica. Uh, if he were to write a letter to the church in Perth, the church of the city of Perth, uh, well, I mean, who would open the mail? That's the first question, isn't it? Uh, there'd be this sort of denominational sort of battle about whose who's right it is to open the mail. But more importantly, what might be the specific message from the Lord for the church in Perth today? Uh, there is one. There is a message. It probably is encapsulated in all the letters combined, as Simon explained last week. But all those letters in Revelation, these letters, are written into particular geographical and cultural contexts and yet they also have some universal application so for me I suppose it just raised the question what is our context here how do we define our context here in Australia in 2019 well Australia has often been described as the lucky country it's a land of great wealth and great opportunity and so from all over the world people in great numbers continue to make enormous efforts to migrate to our shores Uh, Put up your hand if you or your parents migrated here from another country. Um, wow, I mean, it's just, it's so, my hand is up. My dad came from New Zealand. So many of us have come from other places. And, uh, and why would we not want to come here? It's a fantastic place. It's a beautiful country. The following quote, which I'm sure you've seen, you've probably, some of you might have it on your fridge magnet or something, but it applies to the vast majority of Australians. I'm sure you've seen it. It goes like this. If you have food in your fridge clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank and in your wallet and some spare change, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you're more blessed than the million people who will not survive this week. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the agony of imprisonment or torture, or the horrible pangs of starvation, you are luckier than 500 million people alive and suffering. If you can read this message, you're more fortunate than 3 billion people in the world who cannot read it at all. Sobering, isn't it? It's interesting then to me that in this environment we live in, an environment of such extraordinary prosperity, such amazing blessings, such abundant and wealth, that the church in Australia is struggling and in decline. That's the truth of the matter. You would think that every Australian would fall to their knees each and every morning to bow and worship to our God who has provided us so with such generosity provided for us. You would think that our churches and our prayer meetings would be overflowing with people jostling to get through the doors, 
desperate to express their adoration, their appreciation to God for his hand of extraordinary blessing in our country. You would think, you would think that as in the days of Moses, specifically Exodus 36.6, for those of you taking notes, you would think that pastors would be urging their congregations to give less. There's too much money in the offerings. The offering buckets are full to overflowing. People, show some restraint in your giving, please. That's basically what Moses said to his people. Show some restraint in your giving. Such generosity, it's extraordinary. When's the last time you heard a pastor say that? Maybe this year's AGM. Who knows? (laughs) We'll have to wait and see what happens with the offerings. The lucky country. We're known as the lucky country around the world. Australia, a land of great beauty, great freedom, great blessing. Uh, But it's not a place where people are crying out to God. It's just not. Instead, in the last census, and you know this for the first time ever, the largest religious affiliation group is the group that identifies with no religion. Increasingly, we are a city here in Perth and a nation, actually, of no religion. A nation that has turned its back on God, largely has turned its back on God. That's our context here in Australia, if Jesus were to write a letter to us. That's our context. So it begs the question, where is the fastest growing church in the world? It's not Australia, obviously. Um, In the late 20th century, the answer was China, the underground church in China. And uh, incidentally, the the church in China continues to grow. They pray for us here in Australia. And I've I've mentioned this before, but uh, they pray in China for a great persecution to come to the Australian church. Interesting, isn't it? Well, thanks a lot, you might think. Well... See, they, they in China, they who've lived through this persecution, they know and they understand some things about persecution that we don't know because we've not experienced it. They understand that persecution actually will wake up the church from its apathy here in Australia like nothing else will. Persecution will sharpen the focus and separate the apathetic from the truly committed. Um, what about today in 2019? These figures are a little, a couple of years old, but uh, where is the fastest growing church in the world today? Well, the answers might surprise you. The fastest growing church is in Iran. The second fastest is in Afghanistan. Uh, here's a quote for you. In the last 20 years, more Iranians have come to Christ than in the previous 13 centuries put together. Extraordinary things happening in Iran. And yet, in Iran today, Christian baptism is punishable by death. No judge, no trial, no jury, no sort of fair process, just a death sentence. If you're caught gathering with other believers to worship, you'll be in very serious trouble. So church meetings take place in these sort of clandestine secret locations behind closed doors. When it comes to songs of worship, words are mouthed in silence, lest neighbours hear the singing and report such meetings to authorities, which is exactly what happens. And so instead of having a Bible, uh, you know, and bringing along a Bible to a a Christian meeting that you might go to, instead of that, um, you 
bring, you might have smuggled into the meeting a, a single page of scripture that's been written out by hand and, you know, sneakily brought into the meeting so that it can be easily be destroyed if the need arises. Uh, this is the context in which the church is thriving. It's amazing, isn't it? And I mention that because this is the kind of context into which the letter to the church in Smyrna was written. Interestingly, modern day Smyrna now is called something else, I can't remember what it is, but it's just across the border from Iran. Geographically, it's not far away from Iran today, modern day Iran. So let's take a look at this letter, Revelation chapter 2 and uh, verses 8 to 11. And I believe Noel is going to read those for us. She's here somewhere, I can hear her. There she is. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Thank you, Noel. It's a bit grim, isn't it? You get the sense that that when Jesus writes this letter to these people, that they're in some tough circumstances. um, There's an almost formulaic approach to these seven letters. If you read through them, and I hope you are reading through them uh, in the context of this series... There's a, you'll find there's a sort of consistency of form and all but one of the letters contains some kind of rebuke or uh, reprimand, you know, and a related call to repentance. Uh, all but one, all but this one, all but today's letter. Right? For the Ephesian church, which Simon looked at last week, you might remember it was, um, you've lost your first love remember this is i have this against you you've lost your first you've forsaken your first love so therefore there's a a call to repentance Uh, return return to your first love well here in this letter there's no such call to repent there's no such word of rebuke um it would be for perth i'm sure but for smyrna the lord knows that they're really they're doing it tough in smyrna and therefore they just need some encouragement to continue to be faithful. And that's really the essence of what Jesus is writing. Just continue to be faithful. Keep going in the midst of these circumstances. So let me pull out um, three truths from this letter to the church in Smyrna, things that were important for Smyrna to hear. They're also true for us and important, I believe, for us to hear. And uh, the first of those, number one, is that Jesus is the first and the last. And uh, in its day... Smyrna was one of the most dangerous places in the world to declare yourself a Christian, much like Iran is today. So they need to hear that this Jesus, this one that they belong to, 
is the first and the last. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the author and the perfecter of their faith. He's the one who knows the end from the beginning. He's their creator and he is their saviour. And in hearing the writer identified as the first and the last, those early Christians in Smyrna, those early believers, would have immediately gone in their minds to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, where it says this, This is what the Lord Yahweh says. Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. This is the significance of these words of Jesus. In other words, this Jesus was not some kind of new kid on the block. He's identified as being in very nature God. In fact, he is the God of Israel, the God of history, the God of creation, the God who is associated with the great I am revealed to Moses in the burning bush. Not only that, but as one who also lived as a man, Jesus identifies as one who died and came back to life again to many witnesses who saw him and heard him after he came back to life. Now, why is that significant? Well, if you were part of the Baptist church in Smyrna, any church in Smyrna, then you had a pretty short life expectancy. And death was something these people faced all the time. They'd wake up in the morning thinking, Lord, is, maybe today is my last day on this earth. Help me to be faithful. Hard for us to relate to that. The threats of imprisonment or execution were not just faint possibilities. They were things that probably would happen to you if you declared yourself and you were known to be a Christian in your city. These were threats that probably would happen to you if you were a Christian in Smyrna. And if you were put in prison, it wasn't just for a period of time before you were then released or received some sort of justice. Prison for Christians in Smyrna was just a waiting room for the death sentence. Death was coming your way. And in that sense, death was always at your door. And so what an encouragement to hear from someone who themselves had died and come back to life again. Someone who therefore, with every authority, could say, even if you die, or even when you die, which might well be very soon, you Christians of Smyrna, even when you die, I will give you the crown of life. Be reminded, church of Smyrna, death, which is always at your door, is not the end. It's not the end. Continue to be faithful. Paul said to the Thessalonians, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We who are followers of Jesus, we have a different way about us. We don't grieve. We grieve the loss of people, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We are people of hope. We have hope for a life to come. That's number one. Jesus is the first and the last. Number two, second great truth is that Jesus knows your situation. For the people of Smyrna, the Lord identifies three things that he knows. Number one, he says, I know your afflictions. This is a word that kind of implies serious trouble. In our context, even here in Australia, it might be something like a, you know, a, a diagnosis of a terminal illness, which I know some of you uh, have experienced and know about something that's really devastating, a burden that just sort of crushes your spirit. Jesus says, I know about that. I know about that. I see that. I see what you're going through. I see your pain. I understand your pain. I know your affliction. Number two, he says, I know your poverty. 
And uh, in the Greek language, there are two words for poverty. Peter would tell you what they are. Peter Christophides, but I'm not going to tell you. Um, but suffice to say, one of those words refers to a less severe form of poverty, a word that, uh, you know, you and I might use to suggest that we're struggling financially a little bit here in Australia. Uh, you know, it's hard to pay the bills this month, and some of us, you know, have lived or live in that space. It's hard to pay the bills. It's hard to make ends meet. You know, we'd love to go out to dinner uh, to a nice restaurant in Fremantle this week, but <laughs> we really just can't do that. That's the first word. That's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is a much stronger word, and it describes the poverty of someone who literally has nothing at all. Everything has been taken away from them. So think, uh, you know, as I've recently, some of us have recently been to Cambodia and we've walked around on the rubbish tips in Phnom Penh, where people live, they live on these rubbish tips. They live there collecting, living these little shanty things and collecting bits of rubbish that they can maybe recycle and sell and make some money. They literally have nothing. That's the kind of poverty that is being talked about here. They have nothing. And again, Jesus says, I know about that. You people who are living on rubbish chips in Cambodia, I know. I see that. I see your pain. I see your struggle. You Christians in Smyrna who are devout followers of, of mine, you're my people and I see your poverty. Number three, he says, I know your slander. I know about those lies that people are spreading about you, destroying your reputation, destroying your good name in your community. Jesus says, I see that. I see that. I know that. I see the terrible injustice of all that. It's very clear, isn't it, that these people are in a terrible place of suffering and pain and injustice. They're victims of affliction and poverty and slander. Jesus says, I know about that. I see all of that. And then he says, and yet you are rich. <laughs> what? I don't think they feel rich in one sense. And yet, says Jesus, you are rich. And what Jesus wants them to understand is that there's a, a richness in spiritual things that has nothing to do with this world's wealth and which, in fact, very often this world's wealth will likely numb our senses to. And here in the Western church, the Western world, there's a Western perversion gospel that's often preached in our churches goes something like this Jesus died on the cross he suffered so that I don't have to so that I might have an easy life of indulgence and comfort and pleasure here on this earth a life of blessing well you know there's some truth to that that's the thing there's some truth to that but a well-rounded understanding of the New Testament will paint a fuller picture. Not necessarily a different picture, but a fuller picture. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross every day and follow me. Jesus says, in this world you'll have trouble, you'll have tribulation. You might experience affliction and poverty and slander. Because, but, but be of good cheer, says Jesus for I have overcome the world. I have overcome, and you also can overcome these things in the name of Jesus. So continue to be faithful in your circumstances. 
It seems to me we need to somehow return in the church in Australia, return to a theology of suffering. A theology of suffering, not just an avoidance of suffering. Paul talks about, doesn't he? Paul talks about a participation in the sufferings of Christ that we're all called to be a part of. What does that mean? What's for another day? But I'd have to say it's not a very popular form of preaching in the Australian church. The message that people generally want to hear is that my faith in Christ is going to improve my quality of life, which it might. (laughs) We pray that it does. It might. But the danger is that pastors preach only that message, come to Jesus and your life will get better, your problems will go away, because that's the message that will fill up the offering bowls. That's a sad story. But the message of salvation comes most clearly to those in the midst of suffering of various kinds. And God doesn't cause it, but he sees it, he knows it. And he's at work in the midst of it. And he's speaking in the midst of suffering to those who have ears to hear. And here, the Lord reminds his people that he is the first and the last. Jesus had the first word and he will have the last word. He had the first word, he is the word. He had the first word in your life and in your circumstances and regardless of what you're going through right at this point in time, Jesus will have the last word. He's the first and the last. And so he assures them that he knows all about their situation and what they're going through. And then finally, number three, Jesus encourages his people. He encourages his people. He instills courage into them. He gives them courage because he knows that they need it. Don't be afraid, he says. Don't be afraid. Midst of all this terrible affliction and poverty and suffering and slander, don't be afraid. Be faithful. Continue to be faithful. And I will give you the crown of life. You know, the courage that comes from the Spirit of God is life transforming. It clearly transformed the lives of the early disciples who went from being huddled together behind closed doors to proclaiming the word boldly in the book of Acts. I want to tell you a story that recently came out of Iran, but might as well have come out of first century Smyrna, which is why I tell it. It comes from a guy who uh, heard this story firsthand, a guy I spoke to, who heard the story firsthand from a young 25-year-old woman. And her story begins some years earlier when she was 11 years old, living in Iran, in a uh, a devout Muslim family. And uh, at the age of 11, her father left the family to move to another city. Now, in Iran, if a woman doesn't have the, uh, the protective covering of a male figure in the family, then she's very vulnerable, actually, to being uh, exploited in various ways. Not just in Iran, but in various countries around the world, that's also true. Uh, A woman in that scenario who uh, gets a job won't even be paid for the first six months. And so many women in those circumstances resort to prostitution. At least they'll be paid from day one, uh, probably. This girl's mother was very devout. She refused to do that. 
And so the girl and her mother were very, very poor. At age 13, her mother was diagnosed with serious cancer. If you can imagine things getting any worse, it was all through her body. And so this girl would, in desperation, go to visit the local imams to pray, sometimes for up to eight hours per day. This girl who's 13 years old, it tells you something about this girl, doesn't it? She's desperate and she's prayerful and she's seeking after God. A couple of years went by, so by now she's 15 years old. Her mother's just getting progressively worse and worse. And so this girl would continue to pray for her mother every single day, sometimes for hours at a time. Well, one day, coming home from the mountain shrine where she would go to pray, for the first time in her life, someone told her about Jesus. And he told her that Jesus is actually God. And if you pray to Jesus, then he will answer. His simple message to her was, try Jesus. Try Jesus. So she's all excited. She goes home to her mother. And that day, her mother was incredibly sick. And at uh, 12 o'clock midday, her mother passed away. So here's this girl, 15 years old, completely alone, in total shock. And she said, I just didn't know what to do. She was kind of frozen in place there. You know, paralyzed into complete inaction next to my mother's body. And a friend came over to mourn with her and stayed for a time, left after a couple of hours. It was six o'clock in the evening. Six hours later, she suddenly remembered the conversation she had with this guy in the street about Jesus. She said, for the first time in my life, I prayed to Jesus. And she said, Jesus, I wanted to ask you to heal my mother. But now it's too late. She said, I'm scared. I'm all alone. I don't know what to do. Can you help me, Jesus? Just a simple prayer. And at that moment, her mother started coughing. And they managed to get her to the local hospital, only to discover that there were no signs of cancer anywhere in her body. Now, 10 years later... She and her mother are full-time evangelists. And my friend asked her what I th- would think is a, an obvious question and an important question. He said, how do you deal with the reality that any day someone might burst through your door and arrest you or imprison you or rape you or torture you? How do you deal with that? How do you live and that kind of reality. And with this confident look on her face, she said, persecution and suffering are part of the Christian life. And if God would show me the honour of being able to participate in that, then I am happy and God is worth it. What a statement. Well, the letter to the church in Smyrna finishes in the same way as they all do. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. You know, in that girl's difficult Iranian context, the church is thriving. In our comfortable Australian context, 
the church is fading. But the challenge for us as followers of Jesus is the same, and that challenge is to continue to be faithful to God. The one who is the first and the last, the one who knows your situation, the one who even today would want to encourage you to continue to be faithful that you might receive the crown of life. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.